Thanks for listening to this Ave Maria radio podcast. Be sure to share it with your friends and family and across social media. Building the church so we can bless the nations. This is Ave Maria Radio. Fighting the culture of death and striving for a civilization of love. You're listening to Cresta in the afternoon. And good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Thanks for being with me. The beginning of this month, the Texas legislature actually was signed into uh, Governor Greg Abbott of Texas signed the Texas Harpy Bill into law. It's the first six-week uh, abortion ban in the United States, and the first of its kind to rely on enforcement by private individuals through civil lawsuits rather than by government um, through criminal or, or civil enforcement. Now, uh, it's it's a, it's an interesting and creative uh, law protecting uh, unborn when it went uh, to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court decided 5-4 to four to let it stand, and it seems as though the majority of opinion there uh, in, thought that this would be challenged at the lower court levels. So it's just looks like a procedural issue. But it has gotten extraordinary reaction uh, from uh Many people, including billion-dollar companies, that have gone hysterical over this pro-life law. My guest, Dr. Jennifer Roback Morris, is the founder of the Ruth Institute. It's a global nonprofit organization that is equipping advocates for the family in their homes and in the public square. She's the author of several books, including *The Sexual State: How Elite Ideologies Are Destroying Lives* and *How the Church Was Right All Along*. Jennifer, good to have you back. Thanks. Hey, Al, it's been too long. Really good. I was so glad to get your invitation. <laughs> yeah, good to talk yeah, to you. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, I'll make sure it's not so long next time. <laughs> um, why? Let's talk about this. I mean, people are leaving. People who want abortions are running out of Texas and going into Oklahoma to get abortions. And they're getting help from uh, corporations uh, that want to battle this Texas pro-life law. Who are some of the companies that have been outspoken in their opposition to this Texas law? Well, the, there have been several, actually. Uh, Lyft and Uber both came out and said that they would um, protect their drivers if any of their drivers were prosecuted for take, driving somebody to an abortion clinic. Uh, and, and were therefore uh, the subject of a civil suit, as you mentioned. Now, whether that's even a remote possibility right. that the driver would be sued, uh, I, I think, honestly, I think that's a bunch of fear-mongering, right. uh, to be honest. I think uh, I think the, the object of this law is not so much, you know, somebody like that who would be kind of indirectly helping, but, but, but people making referrals and people covering and, you know, that kind of thing, I, I, I suspect. I, I don't really know... Who all might come under the heading of this law? But in any case, these two companies, uh, Uber and Lyft, were very quick to uh, put their raise their hands and say, "We're against this, and we're going to uh, defend our drivers." And, and that was their that was really that was their vehicle for saying we we support abortion. Right. It, I, don't, I don't know how worried they are about the drivers, you know, <laughs> to be honest. So 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 there's that that one group of of, uh, of companies. Then there's a, a company called Salesforce, which is a contact management system 
custom software company. Hmm. Um, and they are very big, uh, very big company, 56,000 employees worldwide, of whom about 2,000 are in Texas. And they came out and said, we will help uh, with relocate. We will pay relocation costs for any of our Texas employees who want to leave the state because of this uh, terrible law. Um, oh. And again, I'm not sure how how much going to happen or whether this was their posturing, yeah. but but they, they felt it was necessary to say that. But I think the most the ones that really jumped out at me that they were the most dramatic were the dating apps yeah. company. There's a evidently one company, um, the Match Group, owns Match.com, but also owns a number of other sites. Now, a lot of people think of Match.com as something that at least used to be a, a dating site where right. you could you were supposed to meet your your true love, your soulmate, your forever person. This is where you met a mate, potentially, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the same company that owns Match.com also owns Tinder, um, which is an unapologetic casual sex app. It's right. not for dating at all. It's for, uh, you know, it's for cheap orgasm with somebody you just met. And um, so this holding company, the Match Group, they came out very quickly and said, you know, we never get involved in politics unless it directly affects our business. And I'm thinking, you know, (laughs) you're right. This directly affects your business. You know, if people don't have abortion as a backup plan, they don't want your app. They don't need your app. You know, (laughs) uh, your app is a problem and a temptation, not 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 something that's good. So. So, yeah, they weighed in. And then um, I think there was another company. uh, Bumble is another one of the dating apps that, that they weighed in with the same the same kind of of rhetoric about this. So yes, there've been a number of, the, of these companies, particularly the internet-based high-tech type companies seem to have been so far at least uh, the ones who have taken the biggest stand on the subject. Yeah. Uh, it's it'll be interesting to see if they're actually if it actually cost them anything. I uh, my impression is that this is an opportunity for them uh, to posture to be known, yep. to in a way, it's a it's kind of a branding mechanism. We want to be associated yep. with a certain kind of lifestyle or certain kind of set of values, and uh, so we're coming out and uh, we're going to let you know where we stand on this issue. That's right. That's right. I think I think there's a certain amount of that going on, um, but I also think the bottom line is definitely in, involved. You know. Oh yeah. Uh, especially for the especially for the dating apps, um, w- without the sexual state providing abortion as a backup, there would not be a demand for their product. Right. Right. You know, think about it. (laughs) You know, who would be going out having sex with somebody you just met on the Internet, uh, somebody that you barely know, um, if you didn't have the assurance that you could get rid of any baby that resulted? You know, it would change calculations quite a bit, right? That's right. So um, I think it's safe to say that without abortion on demand, these companies would not be where they are today they would not be making the money they're making today they wouldn't have the prominence they have today and you know they'd have to find some other honest line of work i saw something the other day uh which claimed that if you in your dating profile if you if you have pro-choice in your dating profile on these sites you're two times more likely to get a reply do you know anything about that I've never heard that before. I saw that too, and I thought uh, whoever put that up had a, had a certain amount of chutzpah to put that up. But, um, <laughs> but um, okay. But but you know what it what it does, Al. But it's the same sort of thing. What it does is if you put on your dating app, I'm pro-choice. Wouldn't you like to have a fling in the sack with me? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it doesn't it doesn't specify whether it's male or female right. by the way it doesn't I, I don't, it doesn't say that but but anyway um, if you specify that then you're signaling to the potential partners that hey I'm not going to cause complications for you, you right. know, if something goes south I have no conscience about uh, I have no qualms about just getting rid of the baby so you don't have to worry about that just right. you know I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm easy as they say yeah that's that's not baggage I'm going to carry yeah. So. Yeah, that used to mean something different to say you were easy, but anyway, <laughs> never mind. That's for old, that's for us old fogies. <laughs> um, you know, this the the sexual revolution has been a, a major change in uh, American society over the last generation, and uh, you've done a great job at highlighting victims of the sexual revolution yeah. and showing that, mm-hmm. unlike. Uh, those who want to be agents of sexual emancipation, uh, you know that there are prices to pay here. And uh, America is a, a, a much more dangerous place for uh, young men and women who are they're growing, now growing up in a world in which... Uh, Behavioral restraints that were expected uh, one, two generations ago, those are gone. Um, right. There's, there's uh, ultimately, for all the talk of respect of others, I suspect there's a lot less respect between uh, men and women than there were. What are some of the obvious uh, signs that the sexual revolution has cost us? Well, that's a great question, and and I think it's it's worthwhile for everybody to think about this because the, the way the sexual revolution continues is by continually hiding the costs. Right. So you're never supposed to think about the people who've been harmed, the people who have a broken heart because they thought it was a permanent relationship, and the other guy just thought it was a fling. You know, mm-hmm. um, the 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 broken hearts, the STDs, the the baby you didn't really want, but you can't bring yourself to abort, and now you have to take care of the baby on your own in a situation where you know that the situation is compromised from the child's perspective. You know, you're you're having a child. You want the child. You have every intention of taking responsibility for the child. But the child's other parent is a whack job. And if you'd been thinking about it for five minutes, you would never have really gone into this. You know, you right. would, how many times does that happen? You yep. know, I'm sure. I'm sure the crisis pregnancy people see that all the time. Yep. That 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 the reluctance to be, to to bring the child to term is not so much that I don't want the baby. It's that this this other person that I'm I'm going to be involved for a lifetime with this other person and wow that's really scary mm-hmm. and of course the sexual revolutionaries never mention that um, they and 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 if they do it's always in the context of well you you know if you just would uh, get with the program and have an abortion you wouldn't have these problems you know it's just it's just you're too squeamish about the abortion part of this thing uh, you know get with the program and 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 yet that doesn't work either because why because a lot of women regret their abortions after the right. fact and and that too has to be suppressed um you know I, the first time i read the research on this i i, I almost thought it was a joke al in, in in my book the sexual state i have a whole chapter on what i call the propaganda for the contraceptive ideology mm. and part of the contraceptive part of the, the part of the um, propaganda uh, is the 
systematic suppression of evidence, okay? And one of the pieces of evidence that's suppressed is the uh, discomfort and the disquiet and the pain that women frequently do feel about their abortions, at least the, the mixed feelings, right? right? So right. I, I read this research, Al, I read this research. Um, the, the early body of research, their idea of, the, this is a study of the long-term impact of abortion on women. We questioned them at their three-week follow-up appointment. <laughs> that was their idea of a long-term study. <laughs> when I first read I thought it was a joke. Right. You've got to be kidding. You know, you've got to be kidding. And yet they're tra- you know, they're they're uh, traipsing tra- this out all over the place, you know, saying, look, abortion is completely benign, you know. And, and yet the fact is, since the 1990s, Al, people have known, researchers have known, that at least 10 to perhaps as much as 30 percent of women seriously regret their abortions right. or seriously have long-term, um, you know, scars or, or misgivings or psychological pain and so on. You know, at least 10 percent, you know, maybe more. And they've known this. And nobody talks about it. No, you know, that's not right. That's really not right. You you can't you can't say you're pro woman when you're suppressing that kind that much information. You know that that's just not right. Very true. They've engaged. They've tried very hard to uh, turn uh, abortion into something to be applauded, not merely tolerated, that's but right. applauded. And, uh, the American people, I don't think, like the idea of applauding uh, abortion. I st- I still think it it remains. Uh, for all the efforts on the part of the sexual revolutionaries, I think most men and women still, th- or at least most women seem to think abortion, they'd rather not. They'd rather not do it. They'd, they'd rather not think about it. They'd, right, they'd rather right. not think about what led, what leads somebody it, to They might that. think it's a tragic necessity. That's the way they would like it. I'm sure there are convenient abortions. But uh, yes. I, I think there's still a negative, sti- I think it's still there's a stigma around it still. Do you? Yes. Yes. I, I think there's not only a stigma, there's a revulsion to it. I yes. mean, I think it's natural for a woman to want to take care of her baby. That's Amen. the most natural thing in the world. Yeah. Amen. Well, Jennifer, we'll talk again soon this time, okay? Thanks a million, Al. <laughs> right. Good talking to you. Bye-bye. Jennifer Roback-Morris of the Ruth Institute. I'm Al Cresta.